Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 6, 2019, we'll be talking about the importance of discipleship. Today's sermon, The Great Commission, Pastor Mark Ewell will be teaching from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We hope you enjoy. Well, Happy New Year. We're glad that you are here. Uh, I'm glad to be here. We've got a great, great passage. I know that I normally say that every time I'm up here, but today may be the best of all, and you'll, you'll discover why. Because have you ever tried to figure out why life can seem so complicated? Life can seem so complicated at times. Let me give you a personal example. About three, or, you know, about three weeks ago, most of the pastoral staff and a few elders met together with a church consulting company. They're coming in and kind of evaluating how we're doing church and that type of thing. And we met for two straight days uh, in this room behind the screen over here, and uh, it was intense, let me tell you. At the end of two days, we had on all four walls these great big poster size, you know, write-on boards that they took from our discussion, and they started putting them up on the walls. And literally, we had 26 of these things. And I know that I'm getting old, I'm getting mature, but I'm getting a little stodgy, I think, as I age. And I couldn't help but sit there and think, I wonder if we're making this thing too complicated. And I want to just challenge you to think through your life and where it might be a little bit too complicated. I think we get into that, that uh, error of being complicated because we've got too many other twos that surround us. I came up with five. You could probably add to this list with more of your own, but listen to these five that I think are pretty prevalent in our society. The first is we've got a world that's much too noisy. Uh, and, and unless you're living in a cave, you've probably experienced that. There's just a cacophony of, of voices out there that are just screaming at us at full volume. And it's, tr- it's tough to try to figure out what, what are these voices that we should listen to. Uh, I was having breakfast with a friend of mine over the Christmas break, and we were talking about all the noise and not being able to kind of get rid of it all. And he said, let me give you an example. He said, just since we've been having breakfast this morning, he says, I've probably got over 100 emails that have come in. And I go, you're kidding. And he looked, and he had about 123 of them. And I wow, that's a lot of voices coming in. So I think our world can be too noisy. I think it can be too confusing. We go through life, and at one minute, we're driving in the car, singing to a Chris Tomlin worship song. Uh, Then in the very next moment, we hear the news, and the Dow Jones is dropping faster than we can believe, while our credit card balance is climbing higher than we thought. And we go from worship to worrying about that quick. And our mind just seems to be torn thinking about two different and contrary things. And it happens all the time. So we can get too confusing. Our world, honestly, can be a little bit too selfish or too self-centered. Now, frankly, I think the world would be a pretty nice place if the world would just recognize that the world revolves around me. But as you laugh, you realize that there's probably six billion other people that would have that same premise. Not that it would revolve around me, but it would revolve around each of them. 
And we are, again, bombarded constantly with messages. You do you is the most recent one that I've heard. But it's just reinforcing that self-centered world that we live in. Or our life can get too complicated. A real common one is life gets just, we're just too scattered. Uh, I think all of us have some, some aspect of this A, D, and D where we're just attention deficit challenged and we see something squirrel and our, our little mind goes over there and then something else clashes when we, and, and we respond to that which is right in front of us and we're reacting rather than kind of calming down, sitting and saying, hey, what would be the most important thing? We scatter to and throw. What one person said is we're chasing the tyranny of the urgent. And I think that makes life complicated. Or finally, complications come in when life gets too empty. And by too empty, I'm not talking about lack of activity. There's plenty of that that's available. But too empty in those things that really are significant, that are meaningful. In in one day, I had breakfast with a guy who, who just doesn't think that his life has anything to offer. And then I had dinner that that same day with another guy who seems like he's been on an ever-going uh, quest to try to find what this significant thing for his life would be. Our life can get too empty, and a result gets too complicated. So we've got too noisy, too confusing, too self-centered, too scattered, too empty, and these can all complicate our life. Well, this morning I've got some great news for us. And actually, the reason why I say that the passage this morning is such a great one is it addresses each and every one of these twos. And it's going to point us to a passage that is so simple and yet so significant that it offers us the chance to find a life that is fulfilling that each and every one of us can find satisfaction in. So that's why I'm excited. I hope that's why you'll be excited to turn to Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20, is the passage that we'll be taking a look at today. Matthew is the very first gospel in the New Testament, toward the kind of the middle of your Bibles there. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. We call this, in fact, in in your Bibles, it might even have the little uh, introduction, the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Uh, Many of you may not know that I spent about 20 years as a commercial real estate broker. And for us, the Great Commission was representing both buyer and seller and getting 10% on a raw land deal. And that would be a Great Commission, trust me. But here, the Great Commission is really the commission that Jesus gave his disciples. In what would be some of his last words on earth, he calls them to do something, again, significant, And yet it's so simple that we almost cannot believe it. So again, let me um, read the passage that we'll pray, and then we're going to get into understanding what our life can be all about. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Can we join me with a, a prayer? Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to open up and hear from you. So, Father, I would pray that our ears would be open to how you would want to speak. Uh, Father, I would pray for me personally that I would get out of the way and allow you to speak through me. And, God, again, that you would allow our people to not only hear you but to respond in a way that would glorify you. So, Father, again, thank you for this challenge. Uh, again, we pray for it in, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, on your outline there, you, you see, again, the, 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 the blanks. Uh, verse 16 has to do with the idea of a world that's too noisy. And it's not specifically in the text, but when we read verse 16, it said, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, where were they to go to Galilee? Well, they were in Jerusalem. The resurrection had happened. Uh, the tomb was now empty. Jesus had, had met with them several times, even before we pick up this particular episode here in Matthew. But he's, he tells them to go to a mountain. And we're not told what mountain it is, but we know that they know what mountain it is because they just listened. Just listen is our first point there. Why would they go there? Well, I think because Jerusalem itself was just too noisy. There was all kinds of noise going on in Jerusalem. You had the noise of the Pharisees trying to rationalize what had happened and maybe make a case for why they put this uh, man to death. You had the Roman authorities that were trying to make excuses about why they allowed the tomb to go empty and, and uh, coming up with all these wild hair uh, excuses about that uh, the guards were asleep or something of that nature. The crowd itself, the crowd that had gathered uh, in Jerusalem, was probably still buzzing about what had happened. And I think when Jesus directs his men to go to Galilee, it's about a three-day walk to get there, I think he was doing that not only for their protection, but also perhaps just to clear their head so that they could listen to what God had for them. And we'll have a much better chance to follow when you and I can learn to listen. So can I give you a challenge this morning, even as we're working our way through the rest of this passage? Would you be extra attentive to listen this morning to what God has to say through these next few verses. Just listen. Well, something else happens in verse 17 that has to do with the idea that our world can be too confusing. We read this. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, we would expect that. The disciples had already understood now that this was no ordinary man. This was God and God can rightly be worshipped. And so Jesus accepts their worship, which he had never done any time prior to this. And they worshipped him, and we would expect that because God is worthy. Jesus is worthy as God of our worship. But do you see the next phrase? This next phrase just puzzled me for quite some time. It said, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In my study Bible at home, I wrote, how is that? 
How is this? This is not, again, the first time that they've seen a resurrected Jesus. How could they be worshiping at one moment, but then have some doubt at that same time? Well, I thought, well, maybe we shouldn't get too hard on these disciples. It could be something as simple as the the doubt would simply be an expression like we would say, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Kind of like when ASU beat U of A in the football game. I can't believe this. (laughs) And this unbelievable event was almost, it was unbelievable, but this particular event was true nonetheless. So perhaps it's just that expression, wow, I can't believe what's happening. Or could it be like you and I have experienced that we too go through this swing of going from devotion to doubt and that turn can happen quickly? For here, the lesson is simply just believe. Just believe. You see, when, when, when fear is traded, we, we trade faith for fear, when we trade devotion for doubt, when we go from worry, uh, from worship to worry, that's the divided mind that this word doubt describes. Doubt is, is brought from a word that literally means two, having two minds. And God doesn't want that for us. He wants us simply to just believe. Just believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Believe that he will do what he said he'll do. There's a passage in in John 11 that talks about belief. And again, it could be some of you that would need to hear and respond to this particular invitation. If you're taking notes, John 11, 25 through 27, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked this question, do you believe this? I'd like to ask that of you. Do you believe this? In a room this size, there have got to be a few of you who are yet doubters. And I would simply give you the challenge to to really come to grips with what Jesus is saying. Do you believe this? There's a, a Bible study I went to long ago called The Truth Project. And in The Truth Project, the, the moderator there had a great line. He, asked, he said, asked, posed this question. What would happen if we really believed that what we believed were really real? Let me get that to you again. What would happen in your life and mine? Let's make it personal. If we really believed that what we believed was really real. Do you know what one answer I came up with? We'd have a lot less doubt we'd have a lot less worry. We'd have a lot less fear. And I think that's what Jesus wanted for his men. Here I am, believe in me. So just listen, just believe. Are you starting to see how simple life can be? Verse 18 moves us on to the next uh, point, and that's simply in a a world that can be too self-centered or perhaps even too rebellious, just submit 
Just submit. Listen to how Jesus, again, leaves no doubt for his men. Back in Matthew 18. And Jesus came and said to them, get this word, all. All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We just got through singing about that, uh, that authority, that we would crown him Lord of all. Have you? Do you? Do we as believers in Christ recognize and bow to the authority that Jesus through his own lips is claiming here? I went through and I, I, I pulled out several passages. They had about 20 different ones, but I figured for time-wise, we may not get to all 20. So I picked out four. Can I give them to you very quickly from Matthew eleven twenty-seven? 27? Don't turn there because we're going to go quickly. But Matthew eleven twenty-seven, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things. As Paul's writing about the power of the resurrection over life and death, he says, for God has put all things in subjection under his, Christ's, feet. All things are in subjection to him. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, what a great passage. For God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is all in all. I counted five alls in there. And then finally, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, I was hoping there'd be a couple big amens there. Jesus is claiming total authority. And his total authority demands our total submission. You understand that? His total authority, he didn't have partial authority. He didn't have a part-time authority. He didn't have an authority that was limited in any way. And because of his total authority, it demands our total submission. We can't come to God and say, God, uh, I'm going to give you authority on about three out of every four Sundays a month. Or I'll, I'll, I'll let you have every other day of the week, but I'd kind of like to reserve Saturday nights for me. Or God, you can give me wisdom on how my, my family is to be run, but I'd rather kind of handle my own finances. Thank you very much. No. His total authority demands that we bow in every area of our life. Do you have an area right now that you're having trouble bending your knee? Most of us do at time, one time or another. 
could be a circumstance that you just can't figure out why God would allow this into your life. Could be a relationship that's gone sideways. Can you bow to the authority that Jesus knows exactly what's going on? And his sovereign plan is just that. It's sovereign. He's got total rule over it. And it's his plan, as confusing and painful as it might be for us in the moment, that we would simply submit. Who are we? I think, who are we to question the Lord of Lords, to try to bout box with the King of Kings? What a vain coup that is to think that we can usurp his authority. Simply listen. Simply believe. Simply submit. And then with the voice of total authority still ringing in the disciples' ear, he gives them this very simple command, starting in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So for a world and for times when we get way too scattered doing all the things that may not be the most important, Jesus comes along and asks without saying it, would you simply obey me? Just obey. Our marching orders are very clear. Make disciples. And that's not as easy as it sounds. Let me give you just a real quick little story about my own life. I, I, I've been paid as a pastor for the last 20 years. And um, for about the first 15 years, at every heartbeat, uh, we would hear the same thing. Our, our church is built on two foundational um, directives. To, to uh, share the word of God, that's evangelism. And to teach others about it, which is discipleship, to reach and teach, evangelism and discipleship. And I can remember sitting in the rotunda, uh, hearing this for the umpteenth time, and all of a sudden it struck me. I think all of, a, all of a sudden I listened. And God, as if God were speaking, he said, Mark, how are you doing on discipleship? And I thought man, I'm not sure if I'm doing it so well. I'm scattered. I'm doing lots of different things, and I can point to a lot of different activities. But if I had to look back and say, how many disciples have I made? I'm not sure how many I could really point to. So I really started investigating what discipleship is all about for me personally. And I came up with one of the first challenges is really just how do we frame discipleship? What does it really mean when we say that we or individually or collectively want to be involved in discipleship? And although there's lots of great definitions, here's the definition that we're going to work with. It's intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers. Intentionally multiplying Christ-like followers. Intentional. That we would be purposeful about it that we would be thinking it through, not haphazardly, not backing into it, but everything that we would do would be done with that, that focus of intentionality, guiding it. 
and I discovered that my ministry had been unintentional, and I could be a lot more intentional about discipleship. Multiplying, that's simply taking advantage of the compound uh, 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 process of, of two becoming four, four becoming eight, and so on, until you, you, you realize that you, we could change the world if we would simply make disciples who then would make a disciple and multiply. And we want to be able to maximize the power of that. You know, essential oils wasn't the originator of multi-level marketing. You know, Paul had this idea. Christ-like is the next idea. We want to simply follow Christ to do what Paul says when he writes in 1 Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. That's part of discipleship. We simply want to be more and more like Christ. That's the qualities that we're trying to build up in each other. And then followers. Simply being a follower of Christ. And what does a follower do? Okay, if I had to ask you what a follower does? Follow, yeah, there you go. They listen. They believe. They submit. And they obey. And I'll go ahead and give you the last one before we get to it. They depend. But rather than me tell you about discipleship, I want to show you discipleship. So I'm going to invite a friend of mine, Josiah, to come forward. And I've asked him, we met a couple weeks ago at, what's that? Yeah, there he is. And uh, we met uh, a couple weeks ago at Dutch Brothers. And I asked him, hey, how is discipleship change your life. And I wish I had a camera. You wouldn't have to be here today had we not, if I had a camera. But can you tell them kind of what you told me? How did, how are you involved in discipleship and how's it changing your life? Yeah, well, I, I, is this on? Okay. So I definitely think that it's, it's really awesome that Mark would bring me up right after he talks about just obey. You know, a lot of people talk about uh, the beginning of the new year, uh, they have these intention words for the year. And my intention word for 2019 is faithful obedience. And the reason why I chose that word was because those words is because little did I know that, you know, um, when I came to Christ less than two years ago on Easter Sunday of 2017, I had no idea that God would take my faithful obedience and place me in a position to stand before you today to talk about discipleship. I mean, even the fact that I'm standing here right now blows my mind and tells me just how good God really is. And I could share with you, you know, the intricate details of discipleship, but none of that would actually matter until I actually gave you a glimpse into my why. Why am I so passionate about discipleship, about this particular topic? Well, I'll let you know. It wasn't so long ago that I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I've known Christ for 20 months, not 20 years, but 20 months. And it's a good chunk of time, but 20 months isn't quite long enough for me to completely forget 33 years of a life filled with sin and le reckless living. And I don't know a whole lot. I'm not, I'm not as 
uh, as savvy as uh, the, the most uh, great theologians that are out there. But I do know this. I know that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin. I know and I've experienced God pull me out of the pit of despair and completely shift the trajectory of my life. And he took me from a man who was once dead in his trespasses and sin and transformed me into a man saved by grace. And because of that knowing and understanding, the least that I can do is just obey. So I made a decision to go all in on my faith, right? And for me at that time, it meant being in God's word every single day. It meant growing in my understanding of who God is, who God has made me, and who God is calling me to be through him. And so that started my discipleship journey. And what started as, as, a, as a simple devotional on a daily basis with my mom sitting at the table turned into quickly a, a, a meeting on a consistent basis with my disciple maker, Monty Woods. And what I absolutely love about being a disciple, to step into being a disciple, what I love about it is that it gives me a space where I can share, right? I can grow in my walk. I can bring all of my challenges, all of my praises, all of my celebrations, all of my life experiences to the table with another believer who has a full commitment to my spiritual growth and will always direct me back to God's word. And so while I'm working with Monty, I'm like getting super pumped about this stuff, right? And, uh, and I decide, you know what? I want to be a disciple maker too, because that's what we're called to do. Just obey. And my call to being a disciple maker came in the form of serving in the high school ministry, which I must preface, I did not want to be there at all. Okay, let me give you guys a little bit of a glimpse into walking into that high school room for those of you guys who've never done it before. Imagine my first time walking into this room. I see a sea of teenagers, right? They're running all over the place, causing a ruckus. I got to dodge like rolls of toilet paper coming at me. And I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. And I look at Jeff Stevens. He's just looking at and he's like, yeah, man, that's what happens around here. And I'm like, no, this is, I mean, and then you got lots of kids who are or teenagers who uh, don't know the power of Christ, let alone the power of deodorant. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. <laughs> and so, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't want to be here. And then I'm asked the question, okay, out of all of these grades, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, which of these kids, which ones of these teens do you want to serve? And I said, anyone but the freshman boys. Because if anyone doesn't know the power of deodorant, it's those kids, right? And this is where God has a sense of humor. Because who does he set me up with? The freshman boys. Now, I say all of this as an encouragement to you, some of you guys might be here, might be here in your faith, and you might think, you know, dis making disciples ain't for me. It's not for me. 
right? It, 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 I just can't. I don't have enough time. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be with people like that. I don't know the word that deeply. Let me tell you what happened. I went from sitting with these freshman boys, 16 of them, in all of their smelliness, but God shifted my heart in a way that I'm madly in love with these kids. So it doesn't matter if, if you got enough time or if you don't know how to do it. It doesn't matter because you know what? We have the dependence of knowing that we got the Holy Spirit inside of us that will guide us. So I really just really wanted to take the time today to say that this is a call to action. If you find yourself in a position where you are not quite sure of who God is, who he's called you to be, and who you are in him, step into being a disciple. It'll change your perspective on everything. And if you find yourself in a position where you're feeling like it's not for you, this ain't for me. If you're finding yourself up against a bunch of smelly teenagers and you don't want to go in that room, go there. Because your dependence on God is elevated. So that's what I wanted to share. Awesome. Thank you very much. Now you can see why I wanted him to share. I wanted him because really he's got a very unique perspective and in several different ways. He's being a disciple. He's being a disciple of Monty Woods who's pouring into his life. He was a disciple early on of his mom who took the time to just meet and get into God's word with, with her son. But he's also making a disciple with those freshman guys. So I want you to, to remember a little six-word motto that we have at Highlands when it comes to discipleship. The six-word motto is this. I want us to be one. That's simply I want to be a disciple. I want someone to, I'm willing to have somebody else pour into my life. To, to not just go through curriculum. Discipleship is not curriculum. It's not a Bible study. It's not a program or another ministry. It's learning to live like Christ based on a relationship basis. That's why Josiah loves those freshmen. And my guess would be that's why Monty loves Josiah and vice versa. So it's be one. It's make one. It's realizing that at some point in time, God wants all of us, if you're a follower of Christ, he wants us to make disciples, to simply be faithfully obedient and make disciples. Help somebody else transform their life like somebody else helped, helped us. And then finally, we want to do it, be one, make one. Here's a big key, as one. Somebody asked me a few months ago, hey, what's the big difference about discipleship that we're rolling out in January? Why is that different than something that we've heard before? These two words are the difference. We want to do it collectively, all of us. All ages, all stages, all, all life groups from our student ministry on up, we want to do it as one. And I want that to include you. I want you to either be one or to make one. 
And I just can't believe or start to even dream the impact positively that Highlands could have if all of us would fall into one or all three of those categories. So again, let me springboard off of what Josiah, you might be thinking, oh, Mark, I'm not sure. I don't know if I've got what it takes. I'm kind of new at this Christian thing. I'm not the scholar. I'm not sure if I've got the the resources or the time. That's the, the, the too inadequate or too empty thing that we want to address. Because do you realize what Jesus said at the very last sentence? After he just gave them the clear directive of make disciples, he said, and behold. And like Thomas told us a few weeks ago, that means listen up. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. The Lord's promised presence provides all that we need to do all that he asks all the time. So I want to simply close by asking you if you'd be willing to be a disciple. Will you? Will you listen, believe, submit, obey, and then simply depend on him to provide all that you need to make that happen? Here's how I'd like to give you that challenge. Um, You see the envelopes right in front of you? I want everybody to do this. Would you grab an envelope? I want to see heads bobbing, reaching. Grab an envelope. We're going to give you three simple ways in which you can respond this morning. If you want to be discipled by somebody else on a one-on-one relationship basis, would you just put your name, your phone number, and email on that and just simply write B1? And then you can get that to us the old-fashioned way by way of putting that envelope in the, in the offering. Or if you want to high-tech us, go online when you get back and go online to highlandschurch.org slash discipleship, and it's right there. And if you're really savvy, you can text 555-888 and write B1 with the numeral one, and instantly you're going to get a link that provides you a discipleship profile. Because here's what we're doing. We're going to ask those that want to be discipled to fill out and give us a little information. Because right now at this time, we've got about 125 disciple makers who have listened, they've believed, they've submitted, they're obeying, and they're depending upon God to match them up with potentially you right now. So I'm going to ask that you fill that disciple maker profile out, get that back to us, and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to do the match game and match you up with someone that would love to transform your life just like Josiah's and to pour into you so that you can then do it to somebody else. Would you respond? We've been praying that you would do that today. Listen. Believe. Obey. Submit. And then depend. It's not complicated. Make disciples. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this great passage. And Father, this is so simple, 
And yet it's so significant the impact that this could have if we would commit ourselves to this. Father, you've told us that the great, command, the great commandment is to love God and love people. You've showed us this morning that the great commission is to make disciples. Father, I would pray that you would make us a great church by being committed to each of these. And Father, I'd pray that you would make us great followers as individually, God, that you would help us respond to what you're telling us even this morning. So Father, again, as a church, help us be one, make one, help us do it as one. And God, again, for your glory, we pray that this would happen. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's not complicated. If I could quote Josiah, if we would simply be faithfully obedient, make disciples. God bless you.